we ought to give a display to the church. You know, so, so many times what we're doing in the church can be out of sight and out of mind. And it's really important for us to come up out of the basement and for you to see, for you to see what God is doing. And God really is doing some amazing things. And it's awesome to be a part of Impact Youth. My wife and I have been there now uh, 11 years, and I grew up in the youth group. So if I count that, you know, it's a real long time. And uh, it's really cool to have an opportunity to serve in the youth group that we grew up in. And uh, I'm really, really excited. Of course, everything you see tonight from the cafe to the worship, it's all homegrown at Impact. Even these two shirts were created by one of our very own, Katie Turquetta. She just really had that on her heart. So it is pretty cool to see what God is doing. So we'll be here this and next week. And I would like to uh, just open up the word and, and just begin to share a few things with you. But let's start in prayer. Father, we come to you right now and we thank you. Thank you for the time of worship that we have had. Thank you that you are with us. Jesus, you are right here worshiping the Father with us. And your Holy Spirit, you have been here in our time together. You've been strengthening tonight. You've been empowering tonight. You've been equipping tonight. You've been healing in the house tonight. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for all that you'll continue to do. Lord, as we open up your word, as we begin to study, I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer, that I would only say what you would have me say and only do do what you would have me do. We ask these things tonight in the name of Jesus. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Tonight we're going to begin our study in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. Last year I had a privilege, I had the privilege of coming up here and sharing a two-part message that I called Preparing for the Church of Tomorrow. And I want to pick up where we left off tonight and I want to talk to you about passing the torch. Passing the torch as we get ready for the next generation to take over. Second Peter chapter two, uh, chapter one, and we'll pick up in verse one. And when you're there, just shout at me and say, I got it. Yeah. All right, Simon Peter, we're in verse one of chapter one, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained or received like precious faith with us by righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Everyone say divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Okay, that was all sort of the preamble and the preface of what we're going to begin to study tonight. Verse 5. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren or useless nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. 
For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just a quick note before we get into what God has for us tonight. I know that when I read that that phrase, never stumble, I automatically think, okay, I'm living here on the earth. I got the sin nature. Yes, Christ is big inside of me. But how am I never going to stumble? And I don't think Peter's saying we're never going to make a mistake. I don't think he's saying we're never going to slip. I think what he's saying is a lot of what Pastor Mike was talking about on Sunday, that there'll be an abundant supply of grace, that there'll be more grace grace even as we slip up. And so because of that grace and because of the righteousness that has been put on us through Jesus Christ, we are not stumbling. We are in him, so we're not stumbling. So that's a quick side note. I believe that Peter, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit right here, lays out eight torches that we need to pass on to the next generation. Talk about passing on the torch to the next generation to get ready for the church of tomorrow. And the first torch that Peter mentions here is the torch of faith. He says, adding to your faith virtue. So Peter is already assuming that we have faith and we are passing on faith. I want to clarify what Peter is talking about with faith here. He is talking about the, the salvation and the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. What you, how you got into this thing with God. Salvation and righteousness come through Christ alone. That's the faith that he's talking about. By confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart the Lord Jesus. That's the faith that he's talking about. The faith in God. The righteousness in God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And what we're going to begin to see is that all of these torches, all of these things that we need to pass on to the next generation, it's not enough just to speak them. It's not enough just to teach them, but we need to model them in our personal lives. We need to model them as a church. These need to be things that everyone is seeing in our church, in our culture, in our home. One of the ways that we can model the faith for our young people today is through what we've just experienced through worship, through prayer, and through the teaching of the word. Just three simple ways we can model faith in our homes through worship. Our children ought to see us worship the Lord. They ought to see us humble ourselves before the Lord to know that he takes first place. They ought to hear us moms and dad teaching them the word, teaching them, instructing them, teaching them the way that they should go. They ought to see us pray. We ought to bring them in when, when crisis hits the family or even before that, giving thanks for our food. Whatever it may be, they need to see that. We need to model that for them. So Peter's saying what you have to do is make sure that you have faith to pass on. So that's torch number one is faith. Torch number two, it's a little more challenging. Peter says right here in verse five, add to your faith virtue. Everyone say Virtue. Virtue is a Greek word that signifies intrinsic value. Listen to this now. Goodness in character and behavior. Moral excellence. Lord Jesus, if it is something the church needs to model today, it is virtue. We need to be living virtuous lives. And we need to be modeling virtuous lives for our next generation, for our children. They ought to see us live and strive for moral excellence. Peter's saying it's not enough just to have the faith. You can't just be born again and be saved. That is not enough. You need to add to that some moral excellence, which means you got some work to do. You got to work on those virtues. We often say patience is a virtue. What does that mean? We're working on it. We're working on it. Or God's working in us. He's working in us. A couple ways that we can teach moral excellence to our children. 
Very simple ways, biblical ways. One of the first ways is in our word. In our word. What are we saying to our children? Does what we say line up with what we do? If we want to teach virtues, if we want to live in moral excellence so that the next generation church is not a compromising church, but a steadfast church, if we want, we need to demonstrate moral excellence. And the first way that we can do that is by getting our, letting our yes be yes and our no be no. If I say yes, it's yes. If I say no, it's no. And that goes in every area of our lives. Isn't that what Jesus said? Let your yes. Anything else? Anything more? It's from the evil one. Anything else? The first way that we can model is through our word. And the second one that goes along with that is our commitment. Lord Jesus, we need to understand commitment in our culture today. King Solomon writes in the book of Ecclesiastes, it is better for you not to vow than to vow and to not keep. We need to model faithful marriages to our children. It's about time we started modeling and keeping our vow and keeping our commitment, even when times get tough, even when it gets turbulent, even when we don't understand each other. We ought to be virtuous. We ought to have enough of the Spirit of God inside of us that says, no, I made a vow, and I'm going to stand by that. Now, you know as well as I do now that I had no idea what I was saying on my wedding day. It's my wife. I had, and come on, most of us grooms, we had no idea. You, we often make vows and commit ourselves to something long before we ever have to live it out. But you know what? It's like saying, put your money where your mouth is. Put it. Speak it. Commit to it. And then when the going gets tough, stand by it. Stand by it. That's the virtue and the moral excellence we need to pass on to this next generation, that they would see us make a vow. Make a vow, make a commitment, and stand by it. That will challenge every one of us to the core. That's why it's great, parents, if you have wedding videos or, or wedding pictures to go through. To go through those with your children. Let your parents see when your love began. Let them see how you made that commitment. Of course, we're talking about marriage, but this moral excellence goes into every area of our lives. I love what uh, John Maxwell famous leadership writer, he, he sums up integrity in one sentence, and we have it here. I'd like to bring it up. John Maxwell says, integrity is I am who I am, no matter where I am or who I'm with. We talk about living morally, morally excellent lives. This ought to be our motto. I am who I am, no matter where I am and who I'm with. In other words, I don't have two different worlds. I don't have my church clothes that I put on. So I look good when I walk into the house of God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All these things. No, I have who I am. I'm walking out this faith in Jesus Christ. I don't have it all put together, but I know that God has got me covered. I know he's with me all the time. Okay, it's a, it's a lot easier. One of the things that we have to begin to discover, I don't want you to feel like, okay, now we got to be perfect. That's not what Peter's saying. In fact, what we need to realize is that even when we stumble, we can be morally excellent. See, one of the ways we can teach virtue to our children is when we make a mistake, we're the first to repent. We're the first to seek forgiveness. We're right there because none of us are perfect. Not one of us can live an absolutely sinless life. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to trip up. But we can be the first to repent. I like what Heath Evans says. Heath Evans, a former Patriot, former New Orleans Saint. He was a fullback for the Patriots. He was here about six years ago. 
And one of the things he said, he said, listen, I tell all the guys I'm a Christian, I live the word in front of them, but you know what? When I'm on the field and I'm talking back to my coach or I make a mistake or I swear and I get upset, you know what I do? I'm not perfect, but I'm the first to go to my coach and say, I'm sorry, man, please forgive me. I totally blew it. I didn't demonstrate Christ-likeness to you. See, we're not going to be perfect. And it's better for us to acknowledge that to our children and to the children of this church that if I have failed you, let me not try to just brush it off and act like life is perfect. Let me acknowledge that I have failed. Let me repent before you and before the Lord. And let me seek your forgiveness. Moral excellence and virtue doesn't go out the window just because we made a mistake. These are things we need to model for our generation and move forward and teach them. The third torch that Peter says we need to pass on is found in the end of verse 5. He says, add to your virtue knowledge. I don't think what Peter is talking about is all the knowledge that's filling our world today. There's a lot of knowledge and a lot of things that you can study and a lot of great things to understand. You can study anything under the sun now because of satellites and technology and phones. You can study anything, actually everything beyond the sun. You can study. You want to know knowledge about something? You can know anything in our world today. I think what Peter is really saying here, and actually theologians agree, what he's pointing to is the truth that Jesus brought, the true doctrines that Jesus brought from the Father. We need to maintain the true doctrines of this living word right here. We need to model this for our children, that this is true. We need to hold fast to the truth of this word. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'd like you to go there. Just turn to the left a few books. 2 Timothy chapter 2. The rest of 2 Peter, Peter is dealing with false doctrines and false prophets, and he's warning them, you need to avoid these. That's why we come to the conclusion that he's probably talking about holding fast to the true teachings of Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. I'm reading from New King James. It says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. One translation says it like this, study to show yourself approved. We need to teach our children. And of course, I'm saying these things we need to teach our children. But first and foremost, before we're modeling them, we need to live them. These torches must become a part of us. Faith and virtue and knowledge must become a part of us. Our children need to see us read through the scriptures, not passively, but studying intently through the Bible for truth and for answers. They need to see us do that. If we view the Bible, one of the things we teach the young people is that if we really come to the conclusion that the Bible is absolute truth, then we have to make a decision. What do we do with every other, every other idea and every other teaching out there. When new teachings come in, we need to teach our young people, we have the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to be afraid. There is no truth out there that I'm afraid of. There is no knowledge out there that I'm afraid of. Why? Because I got the living, breathing, acting word right here. And so as a child of God, my role, my responsibility is when a new truth arises or a new idea arises, I go to the word. And I say, okay, here's what they're saying. What does the Bible have to say about it? And one of the things that we have to do is we have to accept. If what's being taught does not line up with the scripture, then it is not truth and I can't accept it as a child of God. That's the way it is. That's the way we need to begin to do it. 
We teach our children. We learn ourselves how to determine if this idea is godly or man-made because there's a lot of knowledge out there. And we need to make sure that we're rightly dividing the word of truth. Don't be afraid of the knowledge out there. Don't be afraid of the new ideas. There were new ideas back in Jesus' day, which is why Peter is saying, hold fast to the true teachings of Jesus. You got a question about something that's coming up? Hey, maybe there's a question. There's something you saw on the news. And the kids say, mom and dad, what's that all about? And what does God have to say about that? Boom, perfect opportunity. Let's pull out the Bible. They don't like the paper Bible, let's pull out the digital Bible. And they don't like the digital Bible, bring out the kids' Bible. Anything works. I'm, I'm sort of convinced that every new believer ought to read the kids' Bible because it is start to finish. I love it. It is awesome. You just get this whole picture. It, take, it takes a long time to read through this. So you get this whole picture by reading through a children's Bible. Whatever it takes, we need to not be afraid. We need to go to the Word and say, what does God have to say about it? The fourth torch that we must pass on is the torch of self-control. Come back to 2 Peter chapter 1 with me. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, he says, add to your knowledge self-control. Everyone say self-control. I like to look at self-control like this. Most of us think self-control is keeping our temper when somebody cuts us off or when, our, or, or when somebody aggravates us, we're able to stay calm. Calm down. Just relax. Just relax. I'm in control. Kurt's in control. I think of self-control as more, the, more of like this. The ability to say no when you could say yes. Self-control is more than just holding your temper. Self-control is, is the ability to say no when you could say yes. This needs to become a torch in our lives. We need to discipline. Paul says, I discipline my body and I beat it into submission, lest after I have preached to others, I myself might be disqualified. We need to live a life of discipline and self-control. Not everyone's just like, yeah, man. <laughs> oh, it's painful stuff, but it's good It's good. We need to live a life. The ability to deny self. Man, do you know when you could do something in front of your children and you deny yourself? Do you know what you're teaching your child? We're learning that at home right now. My son, Noah, he eats more than Lily. Lily's older. So Lily says, well, wait a minute. If he's younger, I should be eating as much as him. So Noah has another portion. And Lily's like, yeah, I'm going to have another portion too. And she's like, oh, why did I do that? Lily's learning self-control. She could have been done earlier with dinner. We need a teacher saying no, even though you could say yes. You could have that extra. You could have that more. Paul says it like this. He says, okay, all things might be permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Paul says all things might be permissible, but guess what? I'm not going to be mastered by anything. So if there is something in our lives that is mastering us, we need to turn that around, get some self-control and discipline, and own that thing. Because when our children see us do that, then they see the truth of the Word of God actively involved in our lives, because that is changing us. Torch number five, we've got to move on here. Torch number five, Peter says at the middle of verse six, Add to your self-control perseverance. If you're reading King James, it'll say patience. A couple of translations say perseverance. A couple of translations say patience. So I went to dictionary.com because I'm a 21st century child, and I looked up perseverance. Let's go ahead and take a look at perseverance here. Perseverance is steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. Let's just kind of hang out there for a second. Man, don't we need some perseverance? in our life today. 
steadfastness in doing something despite the difficulty. One of the things that my generation is really good at is when the difficulty comes, I just stop doing. I just stop doing because it's too hard. It's too hard. Let's look at patience. Patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, Woo! trouble or suffering without getting angry or upset. I want to talk to my friends in this room who are 50 and older. How many of my friends in this room are 50 and older? Okay, no, right now raising your hand. I, I don't know how to ask these questions. I'm 30 years old. I don't know. Don't raise your hand. And let me pause for a moment and talk to my friends in this room. Let's just go down to 40. Everyone relax, okay? Let's go down to 40 and older. Help you out tonight. My friends in this room who are 40 and older, I want to tell you something. You have a stick to that you have learned from your parents and grandparents that my generation desperately needs. Your parents and grandparents have come through wars. Some of you have come through wars. You have come through grandparents. Some of your grandparents in this room have come through the Great Depression. You have learned to weather the storms of life and not give up. You have learned that even if you don't understand, you can still trust in God. Even if you don't see it, you can still believe. Perseverance and patience must be a torch that's a part of our life. As believers in the, in the Lord, we have to have a stick to that when the going gets tough or we're waiting and we're, we're, we're in a point of delay, that we're not getting angry or upset because we are able to trust in God. We are able to wait on him. We have a perseverance that will carry us through. We need you. I'm appealing to those of you in this room, where if you fit in that category, 40 and older, I'm appealing to you in this room and say, listen, my generation needs you to teach us perseverance. We are in desperate need because honestly, I'm going to be true. When the going gets tough, my generation gets running and we need you to teach us how to stick it through even with God. As a young believer, I remember uh, like the first time a hard time came, I thought God must have left me or I must have done something wrong. But as I began to talk to my parents and talk to more and more Christians, I realized, wow, man, tough times come on everybody. You can't control a lot of that, but you can control how you respond. And as believers in the Lord of Jesus, if we have that perseverance and that patience, we ought to be able to respond with perseverance and patience. I have three more here for you. We need to go to number six. Number six, Peter says, add to your perseverance godliness. When I looked up this word godliness, it actually means to be devout or concerned with what pleases God. That's a fancy way of saying be sold out. Be sold out. Man, we ought to be so caught up in the Lord's business. We ought to be so caught up in who he is that we can't even see who we are. Godliness, being totally devoted. What's that song? I'm hopelessly devoted to you. Not hopelessly. We ought to be hopefully devoted to the Lord Jesus. We ought to be sold out. Don't, don't look for your kids to be sold out if you're not sold out. Man, we got to get sold out for the Lord. Many of us, there was a passion. There was a zeal that hit us. We talk about those old days. Oh, when I was first saved. Talk about those days and the passion that we had. Man, 
You ain't dead. That passion ought to be there now. We ought to be sold out now. We can't be looking to generation whatever. We can't be looking to the next generation to be sold out if we're not sold out. We need to be devoted to the Lord. We need to model godliness for our children and for everyone in this next generation. We need to practice godliness in our lives and demonstrate it to our children. The seventh torch that we need to pass, and seven and eight go hand in hand, and then we're going to close. The seventh torch that we need to pass is actually found in verse seven. Peter says, add to your uh, godliness brotherly kindness. So brotherly kindness, when you look that up in the Greek, is actually fraternal affection or love for the brethren. Simply put, love God's people. Love God's people. We're all different. We all have different lives. And yet we all belong. And yet we all matter. Because all of us in the faith are children of God. I tell the young people like this. You didn't get to choose your mom and dad. Okay? We don't get to choose who God is. Just like you didn't choose mom and dad, you have to choose to accept and submit to mom and dad if you want to live a successful life. If you want to live a successful life, you don't get to choose who God is. You just have to accept who he is and submit to who he is. But see, God is twofold. God is not just self-absorbed. The first thing is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. We ought to have brotherly kindness. You didn't get to choose your siblings. And guess what? You don't get to choose your Christ-like siblings. You don't get to choose the Christian siblings. You don't get to determine who is going to be a son or a daughter of God. So guess what? Look around the room. Look around the global church and accept and love one another because we're the body. We are the family. I'll share this with you. First John chapter four, verse 20. I'll just read it. You can stay right where you are. First John four twenty. John writes, if someone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God who he has not seen? How can we say we love God and yet hate our brother? There ought to be love for the saints. There ought to be love for one another. There ought to be patience and endurance with one another. We ought to learn how to persevere We don't all tick the same. We don't all click the same. We don't all speak the same. We don't all look the same. We don't all act the same. We don't all act good all the time. We ought to love each other. What do you see in Jesus' life? He didn't mistreat Judas. Jesus knew he was the betrayer the whole time. He didn't mistreat him. We ought to have love for the saints. We ought to love God's people. Jesus said, by this, all will know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another. And the final torch we need to pass goes hand in hand with the torch before it. It is the torch of love. Peter says, add to brotherly kindness, love. Let's talk about love. Because if we don't have brotherly love, we can't send love out into the world. We're just a bunch of hypocrites. So God says, start at home and love the brethren. Love each other and bring that love out to the world so that everyone can see the love that is in me. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know it. It's the love chapter. It's read at many different uh, occasions. But what I love is 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Turn there for one moment if you would, please. First Corinthians 13, 13, Paul is writing here. If you're there, just shout at me, say, I got it. Paul says, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. 
If you read 13.1, Paul says, I can speak with the tongue of men and of angels. I can have faith to move mountains. I can give all I have to the poor. If I don't have love, I'm nothing. Torches one through seven, faith included, they don't mean jack if we're not passing on love. See, we pass on the torch of faith. We pass on the torch of virtue. We pass on the the torch of, help me out, (laughs) knowledge. We pass on the torch of self-control, perseverance, godliness, and brotherly kindness. But if we don't pass on that last torch, Paul says in chapter uh, 13, verse 3, that even the faith we passed on doesn't mean anything if we haven't passed on love. Natalie, why don't you come up here? As we close tonight, we're looking at preparing for the next generation church and being ready. Are we modeling? My question for us tonight is, are we modeling true Christianity? Are we holding these torches that Peter writes about here? Are they lit so that we can pass them on? Let me pray for us tonight. Father, I thank you. Thank you for our time tonight for all that you've done, every part of this evening's service. We just continue to turn it over to you and allow you to move in this time together. Lord, I pray for the word that's gone forth tonight, and I pray that you would just seal it on every heart, on my heart included, every heart in this room, that your word would penetrate deep. Lord, that we would be revived once again. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word in our lives, Lord Jesus.